One year, I kind of got an idea, you know, I want to try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the furball. This is Northern Michigan. This is what you do. Representing trappers in a positive light. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. There's structure from Perigo Gorman. Perg Lennon's articles, the Perg Lennon ads. Information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very much the same as the you got bogged down. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get them better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed. This is Trapping Today. I'm Jeremiah Wood. Great to be back here. Great to talk with you. We are brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures. K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Cots Pros has a full line of trapping supplies, traps, snares, baits, and lures, books, DVDs, everything you need to get started on the trap line. Cotspros.com. Also brought to you by OnX Maps. Turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS. Mark your trap locations, record your movements through running tracks. Check out the latest aerial imagery, get the landowner information, scout places to trap. You're going to find so many uses for this app. Go to onxmaps.com and use the promo code TRAP, T-R-A-P, to get yourself 20% off of your purchase of Onyx Maps. And you can also try the thing for free. There's a seven-day free trial. It's really easy to download and to to try out, and um, you're going to find it really, really useful. Also brought to you by the Trapping Today store, my new store. I sell some some of the things uh, from here, from uh, my trap line and the fur shed. I've got the lure that I make and use on the trap line, uh, several different types of lure there. I've got the shirts, the mustelids, prized mustelids of the North American Trapper, and uh, the two books, Walter Arnold, Main Trapper, and Fur Profit. So check that out at Trapping Today store. Dot com getting actually a couple of repeat orders so that's great to see people uh, buying something and then coming back a, a week or two later and buying some more so that's great and uh, if you're if you're looking for some lure to get stocked up for the season uh, be sure to uh, to get on there and and order that as soon as possible so here in the first shed it's kind of funny that uh, the way trapping goes is you spend all year kind of thinking about trapping and, and you know, with this podcast, we're doing it every single week, all year long. And then when trapping season hits, it's like an explosion of everything going on all at once. And there's like every week of the trapping season, which here has been open for three weeks now, every week is like 
four weeks worth of potential episodes and podcasts and, and content. There's just so much going on. It's pretty incredible. But um, I'm on a high right now. Uh, just to put it short, uh, to put it uh, brief, I had the best trap line day of my entire life on Thursday. And that was checking Martin traps. And I know we got it circle back and talk more about the beaver trapping stuff that I didn't get into last week because we ran out of time. But this was just absolutely dynamite. It was unbelievable. Um, Basically, to put it short, the most Martin I've caught in a day of checking traps in the past has been, I believe, four. It was either three or four. And on Thursday, I caught ten Martin on the trap line. So, it, it was just, it blew my mind. It was unbelievable. And uh, there's a lot to, uh, more than just saying I caught 10 Martin. There's a lot to the story. There's a lot going on there. And uh, I I probably could uh, could spend an entire day talking about all that has led up to that and all that I have learned and the the progression and, and all everything else. But <clears throat> needless to say, I'm just kind of overwhelmed with excitement about it. I'm getting ready to go. By the time you hear this, I'll have run made my second run on the line. This time I'm taking my wife and kids, which is going to be fun. I won't really be, have much time to, to set out new traps that day because, we'll, you know, we'll be a little slower getting the traps checked and stuff. But I, I want them to have a chance to to kind of experience it and hopefully we'll catch a little bit it's actually been pretty warm the, today was t-shirt weather November 7th t-shirt weather I was in a t-shirt all day and the last five years I don't remember November 7th when there wasn't snow on the ground and so uh, that, that that is quite unusual although we do get years we do, we do get years where this kind of happens and it looks like this is going to extend um for quite a while. I'm kind of nervous about catching fur and then having it sit for three, four days with this warm weather. So I'm, I don't, I'm not too excited about that, but it looks like uh, the rest, the next five to seven days is going to be fairly warm and then it's going to cool back down again. But um, during, during this big, big catch on the line, actually we had one night that was down to 10 degrees here in town and probably up, uh, I say in town, I'm kind of, I'm outside of town quite a ways, but uh, up in the mountains where I was trapping, it, it would have been single digits, and I'm sure that got a lot of fur moving. And there, there were, there were quite a few cold days there in that four-day period. But anyway, that's that's kind of a a quick short update on the line. I actually uploaded a, a YouTube video today, and already got it's up, been up for a few hours, and there's I don't know 150 or so views on it and a bunch of comments. People really liked it. Basically, it was the first half of my day on that Martin check. So you can go check that out on the Trapping Today YouTube channel. And I only caught, I think, one weasel and one Martin during those checks. And there's a, there's a story behind that as well. But it was basically, I, I the video is almost half an hour long. And I was, I, I what I decided to do was, I, well, initially I thought, wouldn't it be cool in the past, all my YouTube videos, I I just like when I when I catch a Martin or I see there's a Martin in the trap, I turn the phone camera on 
and then I record walking up to the trap and showing the Martin in it, and that's all exciting. And then you see a video of a bunch of uh, little clips pieced together with where I caught Martin or Fisher or Weasel or whatever. But I don't show very often walking up to empty traps. So I thought it would be cool to give people an experience kind of like they're checking the line with me. And initially I thought, well, let's do it. We're going to do it. Let's really do it. Let's do it hardcore. And we're going to go you're going to check every trap with me, which I had like 51 or 52 traps that first day. And I'm going to take a video walking out of the truck to the trap on every single one of them. And if I catch one animal in those 51, well, you're going to have to sit through and, and watch and enjoy the anticipation and feel the failure that I feel sometimes. Like uh, two years ago, I set 60 traps. And the very first trap I went to, oh no, that was three years ago. The very first trap, I caught a fisher, and I went, the next 59 traps, I get nothing. Zero. <laughs> so I, I was over over 59 after that one. I was on top of the world with that fisher, and then it kind of turned me all around uh, for the rest of the, the day. But what I learned very quickly is that my phone does not have enough space to store that many videos. And I was out there in the woods, like trying to delete stuff from my phone, trying to figure out what I didn't need so I could keep recording. And I had to not record a lot of things because I was just running out of space. So unfortunately, it's I didn't get it all, but I got a lot. And so this first video is like 30 minutes of me checking traps. And... uh a lot you're going to walk up to empty traps and and you're going to see kind of you know a little bit of the ups and downs and what that's like but the second part of the video is where I get into the real Martin country and I get rolling and it is just amazing just explosion of Martin so it's it's exciting it's good it's really good stuff uh and I I'm actually excited to go through it and put it together so I can experience it again uh, but check out that YouTube video if you're interested. I also have have a bunch of clips from my phone on the beaver trapping stuff, and I haven't uploaded those yet. i got to put up a video on that at some point. We'll see what I can get to that. All right, so uh, let's move into our segments. A tip, a shout-out, a book, and an ask. So today's, uh, th- this week's tip of the week from here at Trapping Today is another long tip. Not a quick, easy one. Um, I kind of like this conceptual stuff. So rather than just say, oh, you know, like I do have some written down here that I'm going to, you know, uh, oh, check the prevailing winds. Um, Use guide sticks properly. Do this, do that. Uh, And those those will be tips I'll talk about in the future, but I can't help it. I get thinking about stuff. And actually, it's funny because I'm on the trap line and I, I just went through my notes today. Because I was trying to figure something out. I was trying to figure out where I caught certain beavers or whatever. And I get my notebook and I'm, I get all my trap locations and everything. So I pulled that out. I was looking through and I saw something that I had written down. And I had written down, oh, what was it? Let's see. It was strategy versus formula. And apparently sometime during the eight-hour or 12, 10 hour uh, time bouncing around in the pickup truck checking traps and setting traps, I had a light bulb moment. And I remember getting a light bulb moment and thinking in terms of 
of my strategy and and uh, and the whole formula idea of you do this and you do that. And it just kind of clicked, and I, I was like, I gotta write this down before I forget. And so I wrote down all I had time to write down was strategy versus formula. And then I forgot, I forgot what I was thinking about. I, I don't. I'm looking back now, and I don't remember what was going on. So uh, at some point, I'll, I'll probably talk about that when I start to piece it together again. But um, I, I always like to think about those things, and uh, it's kind of interesting. That's the fun thing about conventions is because you run into certain people who really think about trapping analytically and they want to get better so badly and they they thrive on it and they they love trying new things and they love learning from other people and those are the funnest people to bounce ideas off of um and th- those guys like they'll think about things that are just minor and you wouldn't even consider and but they'll think like in super detail on it and get it get completely into it and sometimes it works out to where you learn something new and sometimes you know it's a dead end and you just oh I guess that didn't work out moving on to something else Um, but that's what my tip of the week here is is gonna kind of surround is the tip is develop a theory test it refine and repeat that's develop a theory test it refine and repeat so when we're out on the trap line, we should always be thinking about uh, developing these theories on why certain things are happening the way they are. Why did you catch this particular animal in this set? Is it just random or is it something that you did? Is there a pattern? You start to see patterns. When you keep records, it's even better. You you learn patterns a lot more when you when you keep records because you can look back and actually have some data to back up what you think was going on in your head. And when you see a pattern, it helps you develop a theory on why you're seeing that particular pattern. When you develop this theory, that's great. You know, and I've talked to so many old time trappers, and. Uh, actually had one the other day I, I yeah, talked to and he he was uh, maybe a little bit into the coffee brandy uh, a little a little bit much and was uh, was going on and on about certain things and and uh, there there's a certain thought process where you th- you think something and all of a sudden it becomes fact and a lot of guys will will talk about things and they're talking to you like, oh, well, you know, this is just the way it is. This is what you got to do. And this is the way it is. And someone like me, I'm I'm always challenging that. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a second. I understand you have a lot more experience than me trapping. And I respect your experience. But I'm going to go test that for myself so I can figure out if that's actually what's going on. Or is that a theory that you developed and you didn't test? And, and maybe you see... Here's the thing, the way the way people think, we as humans think a lot of times is we have a particular worldview or we have a particular opinion about something and then everything that comes into our life, we frame within that worldview and we interpret it within that worldview. Uh, this happens a lot in politics. Uh, it, you know, if you're a particular political leaning and you hear things come at you and people say things and, and you see things on the news 
and I, I know I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. You, you, you interpret that based on what your political leanings are. Um, it's the same thing with trapping and, and I'm guilty of doing this in, in certain other ways as well. And I, I, the certain theories I've developed and I've become a little biased because I get emotional and upset about the way things are at times. I'm sorry for being so vague, but, um, I, so I always have to like look back at myself and say, Hey, hang on a second. Are you being biased here or is this actually what's going on? So that's the whole testing part of this theory, develop a theory, but then test it and then look at the results of, of your test and refine that theory based on those results. Or in a lot of cases, you're going to think once you've tested it, you're going to say, oh, hang on, I didn't consider this other factor that was going on that's affecting the results. So I better go back and refine that test and retest and repeat. And over time, if you do this enough times and and you go through this thought process, you're going to develop not just theories, but you're going to develop very strong uh, ideas about uh, and concepts around certain types of trapping and you're going to be way more effective as a trapper by doing this and this can be a predator control guy that's out there catching hundreds of animals or thousands of animals and it can be a guy that's just trapping on the weekends and is catching a few animals but both guys if they're spending enough time thinking about they're in developing these theories, think, thinking about what's going on with these patterns they're seeing, developing theories, testing those theories, refining them, and repeating the process. They're both going to come up with some pretty solid ideas around trapping. And I think that's why there was so much misinformation on in trapping back like in the 70s, because you had so many people out trapping that had absolutely no experience and they all came up with their own ideas on how to catch a fox or how to do this or how to do that. But they had no process uh, and no experience around actually testing and refining those those ideas and theories. So just to make this a little clearer, I thought I'd just write down a few things, um, a few ideas about theories. So one of the guys that I got an old timer trapper here who's an animal damage control guy. I would really like to get him on the podcast. I don't know if he'd do it or not. He's he's actually the next month he'll be pursuing beavers for the land company and uh, taking care of problem beavers. He's pretty much 60 plus hours a week right now just chasing beavers all over the place. Uh, he is... Uh, incredibly experienced trapper and I, I really like him. he's a lot of fun to talk with he really is and he used to be pretty heavily involved in the Trappers Association and everything not so much anymore but I think he is 78 years old I believe that's what he said the other day um, and he yeah yeah he is yeah because he was more than double my age and He's still out there every day just, you know, tearing out beaver dams, setting traps, running the long line of, you know, animal damage control beaver work. Uh, he does, he's he's fit, he's active, he works out. I mean, it's it's pretty awesome, pretty exciting to see that, hey, when I'm 78, maybe maybe if I, if I play my cards right, I could be in that shape, kind of shape too. But uh, this guy, we've been working, I, I've got to know him a little better as a result of beaver trapping. And I, I probably ought to, I was going to do a whole episode on 
talking about our interactions last year and then then now this year uh, but I don't know when I'll get into that but anyway so we we're talking the other night because he had a spot that I, I called him a couple weeks ago and said look you know I'm I'm looking to trap some beavers around here I know you're probably busy we got some rain and the beavers just started moving like crazy and so they're all they're on the roads everywhere and the, there's very aggressive timber harvesting and the company needs to get the roads open and be trucking and logging on all these areas so he's got um he he's I, I figured he'd have his work cut out for him so I said you know do you have any spots that I can help you out with and maybe you know if you can give me some tips on where the beaver are at and maybe I can help you knock a few out before you go and break the dam and and you know catch whatever's left or see if there's anything left after I've trapped it and so that worked out pretty good. There weren't a lot of spots close by, but we uh, we knocked out a couple of spots together. And we were talking last night, actually. Uh, I was just kind of updating him on one of the, the last locations that I had set up. And and he says, you know, I've got a theory I've been working on. <laughs> so again, to developing this theory. And he, you know, we have, we observed here this summer that there was the, the the drought this summer was historic i don't from june 1st to sometime in september it was the lowest precipitation on record i think i've mentioned that before and it, the the beaver just were nowhere to be found all summer long in fact he's usually pretty busy through the summer and he wasn't that busy this summer cuz the beaver just weren't there you know, even places where they tried to dam up, there's no water running. So, uh, one theory, actually another theory that some, a couple other trappers have said is, oh, the beavers all moved down to the river, to the big, you know, the bigger rivers, and hung out there for the summer, and then moved back up uh, into the, the tributary streams once the rain got going in the fall. Uh, but this guy's theory was that um, because the drought was so prolonged, and we didn't get the fall rain, like when we normally do, the the beavers never had the opportunity to disperse like they usually would prior to and find mates prior to building their dam and getting their feed pile and building a house or occupying a previously occupied house and all of that. When the rain finally came, it was so close to wintertime that they needed to get boogieing on um, on building that dam and house and getting a feed cache in place so that they would be able to survive the winter. And, you know, once you hit crunch time, survival is the number one uh, priority. And so he, w- the, what led to this was he was catching a bunch of singles. And he's caught more singles this year than I think he could ever remember catching in the past. So he goes to a beaver problem. And that's why I'd talked to him and I was like, listen, I... I only caught, I set five 330s and they've been set now for, uh, was five or six days and I caught one beaver the first day and I didn't catch anything after that. And I hope that's the only beaver there, but man, I don't understand why it would be. And then he said, you know, look, this is what I've been finding everywhere and here's my theory on why. He figured that there was no time because we're so late in the fall that there was no time to pair up they just got going, found a spot, and started building their 
putting in the dams and building houses and feed piles and stuff. And so now this is the process of testing that theory. Go ahead and uh, you know what? That's a theory that actually might take a little a few years to test out in, in a few similar years. But it's it's a case where, you know, you just you come up with these ideas and you say, OK, let's let's we go to the next spot. Next observation. Is this another single? Oh, if it is. OK, let's look at what's going on. How long has this beaver been here? Did it just set up shop or has it been here all summer? Are we on one of the smaller tributaries? Or are we down by the main river? And, you know, I, in fact, I tested this theory the other day. I had another ADC. Uh, well, it was fur trapping, but it was a damaged uh, situation. And this was on a large pond, very large pond, like 100 acres. And it stayed watered all summer long, plenty plenty of water there and this was a full family I caught a couple of adults and a kit and I think there's a couple more kits in there um, I gotta go back and check but that that kind of proved this guy's theory you know it, it's it's one more piece of evidence to okay this was a large body wire they were more likely to stay here and this was a large this was a full you know family of beaver um, if I go to the next spot and it's just a little side tributary and there's trap and there's just a single beaver there okay maybe that's more proof to that theory as well so uh, continuing to test that and it'll be interesting to see where with these singles if this you know maybe a, this will affect the beaver population next year because if those beaver don't pair up prior to winter and it, it, they may they mate in the middle of the winter you know when they're they're locked under the ice and so if they're not paired up by mating time, then you're not going to see those. Uh, you're you're not going to see a large crop of beaver for the next year. So, if if we're not, you know, two years from now, if we're not seeing those uh, age, you know, those yearling beaver, then maybe that was a a factor. You know, that the drought had an impact on the population, um, or you know, we may see some really small small beaver. I actually did see one teeny tiny one, and this guy he caught a tiny one as well this week. And, and that might be a case where they did mate, but they did it much later when, the, you know, I don't know. I don't know how late they can mate, but they, you know, maybe they they found a way, got a warm up in, in early spring and had a chance to find each other and mate there as well. So uh, te that's one case where you develop a theory and test it. The other one, I have tested all kinds of different baits from Martin over the past five, six years or six, seven years, and have had failures and successes, and I've tried a bunch of different things based on different suggestions, and uh, I had a new one last year. My friend Jim up in Alaska said, you know, why don't you use fish for bait? We use fish for Martin all the time up here. That's, you know, in some cases, that's all we use. And, you know, here in Maine, all we use is beaver, and thinking, well, there's probably a reason we're using that. It must be the best. You know, it must be what works, but... I decided to try fish last year just for the heck of it and and I did it a little bit systematically. I think I put fish in like a third of my sets. It was a very small sample size, but I caught more martin with fish bait than I did with anything else. So I upped that again this year. I had more sets out and I I did the, you know, the the fish thing as well and I'm keeping track and you know, I'm making a lot of catches with fish. So that's a theory that's still in process. I'm not 
ready to say, hey, this is the, the best bait to use. Um, and there's there's probably other factors associated with that and involved. Um, but, hey, we're testing it, we're learning, and we're getting better. Um, the other big thing that, that I've, the kind of light, light bulb moment that's happened for me recently is looking at habitat for Martin and places, selecting places that I trap based on what the habitat looks like. And I have been mind boggled over the past several years because I've I've had a lot of places where you go into this buffer zone that hasn't been harvested for timber and there's a nice cedar run and there's a brook that flows through and there's this beautiful old growth mature just perfect martin cover right well sometimes you'll catch martin there but the percentages when I'm looking at my notebook and I'm looking at my results I mean, there's a lot, they're very low, very low percentages compared to what I would have expected. And I've got other people I talk with, other trappers, and I got one trapper that I talk with who traps quite a ways further north in different habitat on land owned by a different company that's managed differently. And just, you know, top of back of the envelope calculations they're catching about double the Martin per trap night that I am. And so for the last three years, I've been trying to figure out what I've been doing wrong and just kind of beating myself up, just trying to understand. Because when when someone's got two dozen traps and they're catching double of what you are and you've got 50, 60 traps out, uh, the solution is not set more traps, <laughs> right? It's fig- figure something out. And so... Uh, I kept going through this habitat thing, but I think, no, it's not the habitat. I'm selecting the right habitat. This year, the light bulb has finally gone off because I've been able to test this on a broader scale. And what I'm realizing is it's not just, I I was thinking about habitat and that I think that was the correct assumption and the correct thing to be thinking about. The problem is I was thinking about it at the wrong scale. And I needed to zoom way out and look at the surrounding habitat and look at how much habitat around this area actually supports Martin. And if you're in a beautiful area, but there's only about 50 acres or 100 acres of that good habitat and it's surrounded by a couple thousand acres of clear cuts or young growth or uh, old stuff that's been, been harvested a certain way where there's just not much uh, mixed wood, not any mature wood, not a lot of down dead wood that's creating structure and cover and denning habitat, and all that stuff. That's going to affect the number of marten you catch. And you could put a set there and you could catch a marten. I do it all the time. But the number of marten and the the overall abundance is not going to be the same. And so that, those are examples of three different theories, and I'm sure there's dozens more that a lot of us do this subconsciously, honestly. We don't even know we're doing it. But it's, it's really a good way to become a better trapper. And if you can find ways to streamline this and, and to speed things up a little bit, you can, you can improve and get better. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to give a shout-out. Nathan, a podcast listener from New York, was... We've been emailing back and forth, and he was listening to some of the back episodes on 
Martin trapping, and he was going to do his first Martin trip up in the mountains this uh, past week. And he sent me a picture. Of, I believe he had a Martin and a couple of Martin and a Fisher, and he was still on his trip, so he he doesn't have a full report back. But yeah, he you know he bought the lure, he did the Onyx, uh, scouted, did a bunch of work out there, and uh, good got positive results. He sounds like he's having a blast. So that was exciting to to talk to be able to kind of work through the see someone through the whole process. I was. I was really excited to to hear that he had been successful and and he's hooked, I'm sure, on Martin trapping now. So that's great. That was the tip. That was almost the whole episode of the tip. Now for the shout out. Shout out is to the Alaska Trappers Association. The ATA held what I think is the first trapper Zoom. <laughs> they did a live panel discussion which was kind of a Zoom meeting online uh, in lieu of their typical meetings. You know, they couldn't have the the meetings were monthly or whatever they have or were canceled due to the COVID. And so they decided to do something online where people could tune in and, and listen in and, and uh, interact that way. And it was really cool. So they had, they, they, they did, I think they're going to do more of these, which I, I really hope they do. They did a panel discussion, and they had some really well-known, experienced trappers and ATA members, Pete Bust, Randy Zarnke, and J.R. Peterson. And this was a panel discussion where people could submit questions, and there was a moderator there, and they those guys took turns kind of answering the questions. Uh, I... Actually, I listened in live, and it was it started at six o'clock their time, which is ten o'clock my time. So, and I had to run traps the next day, and I was pretty played out there because I I started at ten, probably I don't know, must have ended around eleven thirty or so. But it was it was great. The only thing was that it was I didn't realize it early beforehand was it was the theme was so you want to trap in Alaska, and it was targeted toward beginner trappers which was, uh, there was a lot of good information. I'm sure people found it very valuable, but uh, I was kind of hoping I'd hear, there were a lot of things I wanted to hear from those guys more in depth that they didn't have a chance to get into be- because of the uh, the topic. But uh, check them out at alaskatrappers.org. And I found out about that panel thing from their Instagram account. So if you follow them on Instagram, I'm sure they'll have some updates. They're, they do plan on doing that again. I, I hope it'll be soon and hope to listen in. I want to know from those guys with examples of, of some of their favorite Wolverine sets. I think that would be kind of cool to hear what different people have, have uh, ha- had experience with and had success with. So um, shout out to the ATA. Thanks for doing that, guys. Now the book of the week. And uh, again, the, these books are not, kind of a broad spectrum of trapping books or what you know you need to be reading if you know, this is what I'm reading right now and what I'm interested in so <laughs> sorry about that I, I thought man I ought to do like a more trapping specific book for these guys but yeah we'll get in we'll get to that eventually but um, I just happen to be reading this book this week and it is pretty awesome to me and I 
I know there's a few of you. I know Cole's going to probably order this um, when, when he hears about this, but it's a hard one to find. I ordered it on Amazon, and it took uh, a couple weeks at least to get it, maybe more than that. And it was, I don't know, it wasn't super cheap, but it was pretty reasonable. And I'm going to butcher the name here. The The title is actually in uh, Gwich'in, which is the Athabascan, uh, Alaska Native language for the interior Yukon people. And so there's probably some old Gwich'in lady uh, out there that's going to find out about this and, and give me a hard time for butchering this name. But uh, I'm going to call it. Kairundak, and that is their the Gwich'in uh, phrase for something behind the willows. And this behind the Kairundak behind the willows is uh, stories from Richard Martin as told to Bill Fisterer. And Richard Martin was one of those old timers up on the Yukon Porcupine Rivers, the area that I trapped last winter uh, with Jim, and he was, you know, came up in the day where they, they were born, he was born and raised out in the bush and on the trap line. That was when people lived out there on the rivers and they made their living trapping and they went to town for a month or two in the summertime to get supplies and to visit with people and and all that and then they went right back up to the trap line for the year and that was that was how they made their income. And there there were a few small villages scattered around up there and there were people living up and down the river just kind of spread spread apart based on where their trap lines were this is a lot of really neat stories and it was is very cool to just kind of hear that reminiscing about the the days when you could make a living trapping fur and they did and they did they had good fur up there and when the market was good they made really really good money so uh, it's it's a really cool book, Kyrundic Behind the Willows, Richard Martin, and you can find that I think on Amazon. Probably one or two of you buys a copy after hearing this, and it's going to be out of stock. So um, if you want to get one, pick it up quick. You're not going to get mine. <laughs> so uh, my goal is to eventually read all of these Alaska trapping related and and. Uh, this type of lifestyle related books and I've I've gotten quite a quite a ways along that that path. So then finally our ask is the Kellen campaign week three. We are on the campaign trail. Presidential election sounds like is over, but the Kellen campaign is just beginning. We want to get Kellen Cotts on the podcast and I want to pester him a little bit. So if you email cotsbros at gmail.com and ask Kellen to come on the show, we can't do this without your help. So um, cotsbros, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S at gmail.com. And I'm thinking we ought to come up with, we got to raise, you know, up the ante a little bit. Let's come up with some sort of a bribe um, or incentive to get Kellen on the show. And if you have some incentive that you can think up, that you can offer to Kellen to get him on the show. Why don't you send that to him and and uh, forward it to me? I'd be kind of curious to hear uh, what what you might have in mind. So um, let's let's continue on that campaign and uh, until he gives in or I get tired of talking about it. <laughs> so all right. Oh, and before I forget, I wanted to give a shout out to my friend Josh up in Alaska. 
He just texted me a picture this morning of a beautiful black wolf that he shot. And uh, they were actually setting up traps uh, up there way, way up north, I guess, and uh, and saw these wolves and, and got one of them. So I guess the I was curious if the fur was prime on it yet, and he said it's just absolutely beautiful, beautiful fur. So that was really cool to, to hear, and that's a good start. Hey, when you're setting traps and you get a wolf, wow, how can you beat that? And if you stay tuned, sometime in the next few weeks, we're going to have uh, segments of my interview with Josh talking trapping up there so that'll be fun i just i have too much to talk about and i don't want to put put it off very long because then i'm gonna forget about it by the time uh, i i i sit down and record this it's gonna be a few weeks into the season and i'm gonna forget i'm already forgetting what i did the first couple weeks i had to go over my notes again guess i'm getting old but anyway that uh and and i thought you know maybe that just talking about my line was a little boring but i did hear from a couple of you with some good feedback that you really enjoyed listening to it. So uh, that's good. That's good justification for me to keep on uh, jabbering on about my trap line. But just to wrap up the the beaver thing, I mean, really the the take home for me, I I think I've got 20 or 25 beaver at this point, and I'm probably going to wrap it up. I mean, there just weren't a lot of, there are not a lot of beaver around. And they started because of the drought. And, and, this guy Ken and I were also talking the other day when he had that theory about the drought and the beaver moving in uh, was I said you know do you, you think maybe the kits were more susceptible to predators because of the low water and he said yeah he said that's a good point that you know they that that's that really that really may be you know a case where there was a lot more mortality uh, because they're you know they need that water that's their protection and when the water's low they've got less area and they're they have if they want to eat you know beavers need to need food even in the summertime they gotta find food somewhere and when there's a drought and there's no water to protect them they gotta move out on dry land to find food and that makes every single step they take you know not just the kits the the adults as well coyotes can get them and every step they take away from the water they're taking a chance so um, that that may have played a role as well and so so there were no beaver anywhere that i I mean i started scouting it's it's a case of you know when you're not looking for them they're everywhere and then when you start looking for them you can't find one and that was the way it was this fall and so we'd find sign and there'd be oh there's a beaver there's sign oh awesome and you'd go in and you'd catch one but that would be all that was there um, it was it was pretty. Uh, the the there were either no beaver or there was one or two, and and that was about it. So um, I kind of maxed out. I actually had one spot by the river here by the house, where I know I've mentioned this before, but beavers are. It seems to be so so common here in northern Maine that beavers will come in to a new area. They'll create a dam. They'll be there for a couple of years, and then they'll be gone. It'll be abandoned. And then we're going through and seeing five, six, seven, eight abandoned dams and lodges until we actually find an active one. And, and that's another theory that I've kind of been thinking, developing and, and testing and all that in the back of my mind over the years is, um, is it because nobody's trapping beaver anymore? And 
they're coming into an area their beaver are very abundant and because they're doing so well they you know they come into an area create a dam uh, eat all the food resource around that flowage and you know there's their kick outs in the in the spring and they're those young those yearlings are dispersing and they're going nearby and they're eating their food resources nearby them and everything and so all of the food resources are used up all the aspen trees within a safe distance from the water are cut and there's such pressure from the beaver that there isn't a chance for those to reestablish or regrow they just move on and they go and you didn't seem to see this as often in the past and I wonder if maybe that has something to do with the fact that nobody's trapping anymore to control the beaver numbers and when there are two or three beaver trapped out of every lodge in a winter um, then the ones that did survive that weren't trapped you know there was half say say for instance half the pressure on that food base in the surrounding area and so the willows and the the aspens and alders everything got a chance to grow back up um, so that's kind of I mean that that may be a factor and an interesting observation uh, sort of an, another tally on my test of this theory is there's an area right by the house here that I've been trapping every year in actually both in the fall and in the spring and I harvest quite a lot of beavers and I think it's a lot of them as beavers dispersing and moving um, out of <clears throat> particular the particular area but I, I, I harvest uh, a fair number of beavers in this one particular area for quite for for each year consistently and coincidentally this one beaver lodge there's one beaver lodge that's I don't know it's probably a few hundred yards away from where I sit right now it's kind of a pain to get to actually uh, you see if you're on my Instagram you'll see I was uh, I had my boys pushing a cart with beavers in them uh, we actually I borrowed a game cart so we could I could haul beavers back and uh, back to the truck and and haul my traps and everything because it was so far away but the this but one house has been there f I want to say for at least five years now the same house that's been occupied by beavers and and uh, I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that they're they're being harvested at a certain level and so you know the they're kind of keeping the, the food base is kind of uh, allowed to to stay at a level that that is maintaining that beaver colony so anyway just an observation but the rest you know I've gone back to so many other areas where they just abandoned them and been gone um, so the story has been singles and doubles uh, so I had a kind of piece together a little bit of an area I had one spot where I was coming I have this spot by the, by the house and uh, this is kind of another overall theme is that there was nothing in particular that worked better than anything else so another I'll give you a second tip of the the week we'll get two this week um, it oh, actually I think I talked about it last week about trying you know always trying different things and and uh, using a variety of different methods I think last week I said something like if you know, if something's not working, switch it up and and do something different. And and along those lines, 
there was no consistency this fall uh, around a particular method, whether it be blind sets with body grips or uh, baited sets with footholds. And so this little side channel by the house, like one day I went and checked it, I caught two beavers. I had 11, no, I had nine beaver traps there. Seven of them were 330s, and two were TS-85s. The 330s were all blind sets, and the TS-85s were uh, were baited sets with my Birch River Beaver Lure and a little piece of popple. And my first check, I caught two beaver, and both of them were in the TS-85s. Nothing had touched the 330s. Um, I had a spot... Uh, a few miles from the house and I'd gone through this area. It was just kind of a side road and I could take it on my way to work and it was a little extra travel, but it wasn't too bad. Just a few miles out of the way. And I found beaver sign at two locations and one of them was just a small little uh, culvert. And it looked like a beaver had just moved in there and was probably burrowed in the bank. There was no house there's a little tiny dam that was holding like six inches of water, and it was this beaver had a feed pile right in this pool below a culvert. So it was kind of classic. One beaver, uh, it's right, it's a hundred yards from the river, the main river. So the beaver had come up from the river, you know. Just as soon as we got some rain, this brook had come up, the flow had come up, and this beaver had moved in. Well, I went down below the culvert, and I could not find a spot for a 330. It was just there was this whole area between the culvert and the dam was just a big bowl shape and there was no travel ways there was no distinguishable anything this zone you have the law states you had to be five feet from the dam even though the, i ran into the town guys and they're begging me to kill this beaver because it's flooding the you know dangered the culvert but i and i could have set 330 right at the dam but you got to be five feet off and the way it dropped off it was like it, within five feet. It was the really there was like one there was one spot to set at three thirty. Put it that way, and I I thought about setting out beyond that five foot zone, and I just couldn't see a scenario where the beaver would would go through that three thirty where I could funnel him into it effectively. So it was like perfect for a TS eighty five right at the culvert. The only problem was it was so visible uh, for people driving by um you could you know you could see my trap was there and you got a 30 dollar trap sitting there and, and i was a little bit nervous about that but i i thought you know I'll, I'll check this every morning and i will on my way to work and as soon as i i know there's just one beaver here as soon as i get this beaver i'm gonna pull this out and so i'll take a little risk whatever you know it's trapping you, we're on a, there aren't a lot of places to trap right at for beavers because we didn't see much there's no beavers around i had Actually, I had two or three other places that people had told me they were beaver, and I went the very same day I set this up, and I went and scattered them out, and there were no beaver there. So no, you know, it's just it was one of it's been one of those years. So uh, I I set up my TS eighty five nice perfect spot to drown beavers, like six seven feet deep in the culvert and everything. Everything's good. And I got down, go back to the truck, and I better check upstream it didn't look very good upstream but i thought i'd i'd check and uh and just see if there was any other spot to make a set um 
and I get up above on the upstream end of the culvert, and I look down, and there's a 330 in the culvert. <laughs> and this was opening day of season for this zone. Like, oh, great. And it was deep water in the culvert, and I'd seen the guy had put a drowning log there. It almost, the way it was set, it almost looked like he had done it in the dark. Like he was running, and I actually, I got to talk to, I know who it is now. I talked to someone, and he had seen my trap, so he knew it was me anyway. Um, but, if I, you know, if I'd known he was set there, I probably wouldn't have set my trap. Just let him, you know, let him, um, have it. But, um, the, the, so I, I saw a spot where the beavers was coming up on shore, uh, above upstream of the culvert and cutting trees down. And that was the only other spot I could see that I could make a set. But I said, you know what? He's got the 330 here. I'm not going to mess with it. If the beaver goes through the culvert and, and gets caught in his trap, good for him he's got the beaver great but i thought this beaver is gonna go swim right by my ts85 and my lord baited set to get through that culvert i was right on the edge of the culvert there like five feet away so there's no way he's gonna go up there without getting caught well three days went by and that beaver swam by every time because you could see fresh white sticks up above the culvert every three times in a row that beaver swam by there and did not go into my trap so what was going on? I developed another theory, uh, <laughs> coincidentally, about that. Uh, my theory uh, was, you know, why why would this beaver not be attracted to uh, the scent of other beaver? Um, or you know, it's a it, you know it's a caster with with some birch oil that that particular lure and a, a little bit of other stuff in it. And it didn't quite make sense because just you know, at the same time I was catching my beaver by the house here, we're only going to the TS-85 baited sets and lured sets. So it didn't make, didn't make much sense. Um, so let, I won't finish that story just yet. I'm going to go just down the road another hundred yards and there's a side channel to the river and there's a big feed pile and you could see that the beavers were active in there. Later I found a house and so I, I found just a tiny little makeshift beaver house and so I found out, you know, where they were. Uh, this one, no one else was trapped, and it was a steep, steep walk down the bank to haul everything down and back up. But anyway, I I went down there and I set a TS-85 there, right by on the shore next to the feed pile, baited set there, and I set there was the, there was a dam on the side channel of the river, and just below the dam. Uh, where the beaver were traveling over the top of the dam. It was just a low dam. They were traveling over the top, and then there was a perfect channel, like the width of a 330. It was just ideal, and just the right depth. And so I went, you know, you had to be five feet from the dam. I went down eight or ten feet, put that 330 in, stabilized it, put a dive stick there, boom, have a nice day. So I had one 330 and one baited foothold. So just so happens that I went back and checked that in these three days and I get the beaver nothing touched that baited foothold trap but I got one in uh, the 330 down below that dam and so okay that's interesting uh, then I I went one day I checked and I checked that culvert you know I checked I checked my set nothing and I said I, I better check the 330 and see if if so-and-so caught one there and I looked 
and and one day that his trap was tipped over. He had it on some like a stabilizer, um, some sort of stabilizer thing, and it had been tipped over. And I kind of I felt like that was the, the when he when I looked at it when it was set, I felt like it was set in the dark because there was a huge space between the dive log and the 330. It was deep water. It was a hard spot to set a 330. And I think the beaver traveled over top of it and hit the top of it and kind of knocked it over. The trap was not fired, but it was kind of just set tipped over. And uh, again, illegal to touch someone's trap. It, um, you know, if I'd known who it was, maybe I'd flip it back up so it would keep, you know, help them keep it trapping. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't know whose it was and I did, did not, I wasn't going to touch it. I wasn't even going to, I didn't even want to pull up the chain, pull up the trap so I could check the tag and see who it was. I just, uh, you know, I, I don't mess with the law. I don't, I don't want to, uh, mess with anybody's stuff. Um, but then I went back the next day and the trap was gone. And so I don't know if he just decided not to trap there anymore, or he saw my trap and decided to pull out. But then I felt more comfortable that I could set a 330. Again, you know, the law states four feet from, in Maine, you can set a trap four feet away from someone else's trap. That's the law. That's not right, in my opinion. You know, that's not my law. My law is, you know, there's there's a certain line there, and it's different for every one of us, but I was going to respect him. He had a trap on the upper side of the culvert. I had one on the, the lower side of the culvert, and I wasn't going to set while his trap was up there. Well, he pulled his trap, so I thought, cool, I'm going to go set this 330. For this beaver, you know, I don't, I didn't know if he caught him. He may have caught it, um, but it looked like there were fresh sticks again, and I thought, you know, this beaver's probably still here. So the there was this path where the beaver was coming up onto land and cutting these trees, and I set the 330 there and had a dive stick, and it was one of those. I like those, you know, again, I'm not a big fan of Duke traps, quality wise but I love the 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 330s are sometimes there are cases where that that shorter 330 I never really I always thought oh they're just trying to save steel you know cheap so they get their traps are 9 by 10 instead of 10 by 10 or whatever well sometimes we're legally we have to set that trap completely underwater and there's a lot of times that inch makes quite a big difference and this was in this case it did so I set that so it was just underwater and put a dive stick and two days later I, I caught that beaver and so that beaver probably five days or so had swam by that baited set and didn't touch it another beaver just near there had swam by the baited lured set and didn't touch it and got caught in 330 um, and, and so and then down the road here, I caught, in the meantime, I caught a third and a fourth beaver in those TS-85s by the house. So I had four there, and I actually did catch a couple more in the 330s as well. So, you know, those were working too. But uh, needless to say, you know, one, one outperformed in one place and one outperformed in another. And there's no real pattern that you could put together to really understand why that was happening. Now, the theory that I kind of came up with was these are kickouts, likely. These these are likely kickouts. And they looked like, you know, age one beavers. They weren't massive adults, the two that I caught in those areas. And I'm wondering if, maybe I'm completely off base here, but if the scent of another beaver was 
not something that they were too excited about exploring because they just got they just spent the summer in the river where they were competing with a bunch of other beavers for food and space everybody was having a hard time with the drought they're getting a little beat up and they they took off to get away from other beavers and so you know maybe there was a little bit of uh timid behavior around you know smelling something from another beaver and not wanting to approach that i don't know it 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 uh maybe it was just chance too i don't know it it could be that's just one of those theories that's kind of half baked in my mind and i'm going to develop it and try to learn from it here in the future as i get more experience and catch more animals so that's that uh i think that's about it on the beaver line let's see yeah caught a few more this week um i only have a few traps left out for him and i'm gonna wrap i'm gonna wrap it up actually got two muskrats in 330s this week (laughs) one caught right by the tail talk about being unlucky huh (laughs) um but anyway that's uh the muskrat numbers have been way down with the drought i've also observed that that's been that's been pretty crazy um and hey, if while we're talking about random observations, the coyote boys up here, you know, I didn't trap coyotes this year, but I talked uh, and heard from four or five other guys that did, and it sounds like the, you know, coyotes may be a little more susceptible to trapping pressure than we give them credit for, and we always think of coyotes as you know you can't get rid of them, and and the truth is you can't, um, but. You know, Butch Borman, when we talked in that interview with him uh, a few weeks ago, he talked about, you know, trap trapping hard for two years in a row in an area and going back and not being able to find coyotes. And he noticed that, and another guy, two other guys noticed that this year. And so um, th- there may be a case where coyotes get displaced. Or, you know, you trap a bunch of coyotes out of an area, and it's not instant where they're back that, that same year the next year you know sometimes maybe it takes a while for them to come in and and establish a home range in an area and and uh, build back from that so anyway just another observation but that's about it for early beaver trapping i'm excited to chat with you guys about the martin trap line and uh, i'm excited to go check traps tomorrow that's you know that's going to be great but anyway uh, we're an hour in so we're going to wrap it up and we're going to talk uh, about the Cots Bros message of the week. Here we are in trapping season for most people. So you've got traps out on the line. You're going to be catching some fur. And with that fur catching, you're going to have, you know, we're dealing with a very tough fur market. Uh, prices, uh, sadly, are going to be low for most species or all species. So you got to get creative. You know, we're, I'm going to have a lot of tan fur. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I got all kinds of ideas what I want to do with my fur, but uh, very little of it's going to be sold. I'm going to sell some small scale to some, some guys that make stuff, um, and, and some other niche markets, but the auction market, sorry for harvesters, but I'm, I'm not sending a lot this year, uh, until things turn around a little bit. Um, but you're going to be wanting, we all need to find ways to maximize the value of the fur. I, I did a video on this with beaver, you know, with, with all the different things you can sell from a beaver to to try and maximize what you get. But one of the big things that we overlook a lot of times is glands. And glands 
are they, they can be very valuable. You know, you don't get a lot per animal, but if you're going to be stacking up some fur, um, this can all add up pretty quickly. And they're once you get it figured out, they're pretty easy to extract. So, Cotts Brothers is aggressively buying all glands, castor, and essence. So glands from basically all species. Um, mainly, that's probably going to be coyote, fox, um, muskrat, mink, and uh, and and probably a few other species I'm not thinking of. Beaver castor and skunk essence. Check out the top post at cotsbros.com for current markets. With fur prices down, take advantage of this opportunity to add a little more profit back to your trap line. So if you go to cotsbros.com and you click on blog, you're going to see an October 23, 2020 update. So this is Kyle's, uh, Kyle and Kellen's update on uh, the gland market and what they're looking for and what they're paying. And hey, it looks pretty good. So it says here, we're always in the market for raw materials, glands, caster, essence, etc. Markets will fluctuate. Some items will stop buying when we reach our desired inventory. Please call 815-273-2344 or email kcots at msn.com for shipping and delivery instructions. We pay shipping on all glands, caster, and skunk essence. You must contact us ahead so we can make arrangements. Ziploc bags do not work for shipping glands as they leak. Please send glands in plastic containers with screw-on caps uh, like bait jars, mayonnaise jars, peanut butter jars, etc. And if you're looking for uh, more information on how to extract glands, Kyle has uh, a really good DVD on glands. You can find that at cotsbros.com. Um, you can pick that up. Glands are measured and thawed and weigh 9 pounds per gallon. Please make sure there's no hair or fur in the glands. And here's some prices. Beaver caster must be fully dried. Should be no liquid in the caster. If it's not fully dried, we will dry it before issuing payment. To maximize shipping, we require 3 pound minimum on caster. This does not apply if you're sending caster with other glands or essence. Kyle, they are paying $80 a pound for dried caster. And, you know, the, the auctions, there's some $100, $110 pound for really good caster. But remember, that stuff gets graded. And you, not all your caster is going to get that top price. So $80 a pound is a awesome price on caster. I, uh, it's a, that's, that's pretty amazing. Because um, he's talking, you know, that's $80 a pound for everything that you send. Uh, if it's fully dried, um, I, I don't think Kyle's going to say, ah, oh, this caster's not as good. I'm going to give you 70 for that. This is $80 a pound average. Beaver oil sacks, $1 a pound for fully dried oil sacks. Coyote glands, $80 a gallon. Include anal glands, hot glands, urine bladder, sex organs, neck glands, freeze fresh. Red fox glands, $150 a gallon. Bobcat glands, 200 a gallon. Gray fox, 80 Badger, 80 Otter, 80 Mink, 190 muskrat, $75 a quart, but those are spring muskrats. Uh, skunk essence, they're paying $18 an ounce. Um, they're buying a little bit of carcasses, but not shipping. If, if you're local, you can sell some carcasses. So anyway, that's all the update on that stuff. And if you want to put a few extra bucks on your trap line, you ought to be saving those glands. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. So excited uh, to, to get trapping 
back on the trap line tomorrow, and I hope you guys are on the trap line. If you're not, then get ready. I'm sure it's coming soon, you southern boys. Um, I know it's a, it's a long wait, but I hope this kind of helps you get through your wait till your season starts. But keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping. We'll catch you on the next episode.